Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, and that's to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. This program will be part two of our look back at the 2022 regular session of the Missouri Legislature. Our guests are Jay Moe, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with the MCU Legislative Task Force. We are recording this program on May 31st, and though the legislative session ended a few weeks ago, Governor Mike Parson has yet to sign many of the bills that have passed. The final status of these bills is still pending. Welcome, Jay Moe and Alan. Thank you for being here. Yeah, glad to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having us. I'm going to go ahead and move us forward. Speaking of voting, uh, voting rights, and sometimes there are losses. And it seems like the biggest one this year involved changes to our voter registration, voter identification requirements. What passed and what will this mean for voters and also organizations that are working to encourage voting, MCU being one of those? Yeah, right at the very end of session, uh, House Bill 1878 did uh, pass. Uh, it um you know, it had passed out of the House fairly early, went over to the Senate side. Uh, we were hoping for a good, strong filibuster there, but that, that did not happen for some reason. A filibuster started, but it ended, um, you know, fairly quickly. Um, a lot of debate about, about why that happened. And, you know, one theory is just that maybe some of the senators thought, you know, why spend all this time filibustering this? Because this one can be stopped by the courts instead. You know, it makes me nervous to depend on the courts right now, frankly. Uh, but but we do have a history of the, the Missouri Supreme Court striking down uh, strict uh, government issued photo ID requirements. We have a good, strong voting right protection in the Missouri Constitution uh, currently. Uh, and um, the Supreme Court has in the past uh, more than once found that uh, photo ID uh, requirements are unconstitutional in Missouri. So that's one of the main things that's in this House Bill 1878 that's before Governor Parson for signature currently. Uh, lots of us are asking for a veto on it. Uh, I do suspect if he did veto it, uh, that the legislature quite possibly would overturn that veto in September when they come back for veto session. Uh, I think the governor's likely to sign this, but uh, but it's really important that we not just you know sit down and sh- shut up about it. It's important that we speak out and say what we think which is that this is a bad idea. Some folks may think, what's the big deal? Doesn't everybody have a photo ID? Well, uh, no, not everybody does. And, uh, and the, one of the main issues there is poverty. <laughs> uh, you know, government issued IDs like your driver's license or even your non-driver ID, they do expire and you have to renew them. And if, if the month that you need to renew it is a month where say it was really cold that month and your light bill was higher than usual or your gas bill was higher than usual, you might go, you know, I can't risk having my utilities disconnected, so I'm going to pay that bill first. I'm going to put off redoing, renewing this ID uh, until I can afford it because chances are I'm not going to be stopped for anything and, and you know, the, the police aren't going to issue me a ticket on this because I'm going to be careful about how I drive. Uh, and, um, and so people put off renewing their ID. 
and then if an election comes along and you have an expired ID, you can't vote. You know, that that is just so unfair because it, it's sort of like a poll tax. It's it makes mm-hmm. money the issue as to whether you get to vote or not. Right. And that is just wrong. Um, it's also, you know, um, uh, disproportionately people of color, uh, women and transgender folks that that have historically had some problems with photo IDs that are current and match how they present themselves, you know, uh, and they have matched the name that they're using now because of how marriage sometimes changes names, especially for women. Um, so uh, certain people are disproportionately impacted uh, by this photo ID thing. Um, so that that's, uh, a, you know, a big issue about what's wrong with it is it, it, it enshrines strict voter, voter photo ID requirements. It has some early voting provisions in it, but they're sort of pretend provisions uh, because you only uh, get to vote early if you go uh, to the election office. So it's, it's, it's not a, a ballot by mail kind of early provision. And you still have to uh, present the photo ID in order to do the early voting. So it's, it's a, a very weak kind of early voting provision. It has this purging provision in it that would allow the Secretary of State to audit and order removal of voters uh, from the rolls at their discretion, uh, potentially outside the, the, the protections that are offered to us in federal law. Uh, are the the federal list maintenance rules. Uh, So, uh, you know, that's a a dangerous uh, provision. We've seen some uh, purges happen in other states that that have been uh, very frightening. Uh, And um, uh, that that is just worrisome to me that that the people that ought to be allowed to vote might be taken off a list and not even know that's happened until they show up to vote, uh, maybe in some cases. Uh, it says that if you get paid uh, by an organization for for that does voter registration, that you're you're not allowed to do voter registration. Basically, no, no paying people to to do voter registration work. Uh, a lot of organizations really seek to involve more people in in voting, and uh, you know, isn't that a worthwhile thing to do to encourage you know people to go out and knock on doors and say, uh, "Are you registered?" Or you know, work tables at events to get people signed up, that kind of thing. Uh, work at uh, metro stations or you know public transportation uh, hubs to to try to involve more people in voting. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, why why would we want to stop that? Uh, it would, makes it illegal to provide someone with an absentee ballot application. Uh, that that's a strange provision. Uh, it uh, says that you can't make any election changes six months from election day. Uh, and that may seem convenient to election uh, officials and, and counties, but think about the pandemic when we suddenly needed to change the rules, right? Uh, you know, so that, that people could cast their votes by mail in order, uh, in order to protect themselves from a health standpoint. Uh, so it doesn't allow us the flexibility that we might need in certain situations. Uh, and one of the most frightening parts uh, to me is that it moves power over legal actions on elections to the partisan legislature uh, instead of it being with the attorney general's office uh, where that's an elected position where we can hold people accountable if they should act in a biased uh, position, one person, as opposed to trying to target 163 House members and, and uh, 34 uh, senators. Uh, um, it, it, uh, it's the wrong place. It, you know, legislators pass a bill and then may, maintain the power instead of it going to the executive branch. So it it takes away the checks and balances that are intended by having different branches of government serve different roles. 
so there there are a, a, a lot of things wrong. There's there's also a part that uh, that requires hand marked paper ballots uh, to start not this year but in uh, you know later years. Uh, and um, I always ask for one because uh, I think it, it's a better idea for me. But there are people with disabilities that that's not the way they can vote. They need certain kinds of electronic help. Uh, and so it would take away the power of some people with, with uh, disabilities to vote in the way that is best for them. Uh, voting isn't a one size fits all uh, kind of solution. Um, so uh, there's just a lot that's bad in 1878. And, and um, Governor Parson is likely to sign it, I think, but he needs to hear that a lot of us oppose that. Folks can call his office at 573-751-3222. 573-751-3222. Chances are you're going to get an answering machine. Uh, you can say, you know, I'm your name and address, uh, and I'm concerned about House Bill 1878, uh, and I asked the governor to veto this bill uh, because voting is a, uh, a responsibility and a right and one that we must uh, actively work to protect. Uh, and uh, lack of money to renew your, your driver's license on a timely basis uh, should not be a barrier for people to vote that have other ways to prove who they are. I think in the United States, we've always had this idea that the people elect their representatives. And what a lot of this seems to do is allow the representatives to pick their voters. And I think any step toward that direction is a step in the wrong direction for us. Yeah. You know, if we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, we are not a totalitarian society. And and you know, this is this is an authoritarian action, I think, to to limit who is able to vote um based on qualities that make someone probably yeah. less likely to vote for the party in power is what it looks like to me. I think that's a real good point, Alan. And the other one that I've seen that's that's a, a power grab is how the legislature keeps writing the ballot language when when things do go on the ballot. The legislature now writes that instead of it being the secretary of state's office so that there used to be this check from the executive branch, you know, uh, having a, a part, a role to play where you had a different branch of government that had a say in, in, in that process. And the legislature started taking that away. Uh, they basically took it away when uh, when the party that wasn't in power in the in the uh, uh, in this. A different party was in power in the Secretary of State's office than was in power in the General Assembly, and they didn't trust that person, apparently. So they were like, we're going to write this because we don't think that person will, will do it right. Uh, and uh, uh, now it's all aligned in the same party, but they they just kept the tradition of, oh, well, we'll write the language because we know better than you. Uh, this General Assembly certainly does seem to think that they know better than anybody, don't they? <laughs> and for these changes, uh, how soon are they going to take place, and will they affect the August and November elections this year? Uh, most laws go into effect on August 28th, so that would be after the August primaries. Um, uh, some of the provisions of 1878 would affect the November elections if a court if court cases don't delay. Uh, you know, if, if there's not some litigation that means this all gets played out uh, uh, over a longer period of time. Um, some of the things in the law actually have later dates, like beginning in 2023, X has to happen about like the paper ballot stuff and all that. Um, so you, you'd want to look at like um, the at www.house.mo.gov. 
uh, type in House Bill 1878 in the legislation search engine, and it'll, it'll give you a summary of what all's uh, in the bill, uh, that kind of thing. And you can see what happens when by looking at the details there. But some of these pieces would affect the November elections if a, an injunction is not granted by the courts, basically. It's important to note that a lot happened in the legislature this spring, mm-hmm. and we are by no means covering all of it. Uh, we're trying to focus today on issues that are near and dear to the hearts of MCU and what we advocate for. That doesn't mean we don't support other issues and, and efforts, but that these are are the ones that we've decided to focus on. There are plenty of other bills that other organizations that are focused on. Also, we encourage you to check out uh, their recaps. Also, Missouri Jobs Justice has a good recap. Uh, uh, Kids Win Missouri is another one, especially on the education issues and so on and so forth. So make sure to do your research on that. In your views, what are some other important issues that either passed or did not pass that we should be paying attention to? Well, I was glad to see one pass uh, that um, that would create nurseries and prisons because, um, uh, you know, it's just really important that uh, that children bond with their parent and, and uh, uh, there have been, you know, babies taken away from from mothers, you know, babies born uh, behind bars. Uh, I think it's the, the data that 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 we received during the debate on on that bill was that uh, in 2020, 26 women gave birth behind bars uh, uh, after uh, an average of having been in prison. Uh, a little over two months before giving giving birth, so they they were sentenced at the time that they were were pregnant. Um, so uh, there is about a half a million dollars that was included in the state budget for opening nurseries uh, in prisons, and I I think that that's a good thing, and it received you know good strong support from both sides of the aisle on in the House and in the Senate. Uh, Alan, do you have any that you want to mention? There there is one other one that I might mention. Yeah, um, there were three that I was thinking of. Um, okay. So HB 1552 was uh, about charter school funding and charter schools are, are a hot topic. We, we didn't cover them much in our education talk earlier, um, but this was one where um, it, originally there was a, a provision where uh, St. Louis public schools would end up losing $18 million um, because of the way that that the state was going to fund charter schools throughout the state. Um, and through some some pushback from from local organizers and some some public school advocates, um, the charter schools are still getting that funding. But instead of coming from the local district, that money is coming from the state. And so it, it means that that St. Louis public schools didn't lose out on $18 million that they, they need for their operations. Um, and it still allows charter schools to, to get um, more funding than they have in the past. Um, MCU has not, to my knowledge, taken a position on the charter school versus public school debate. Personally, I'm I'm a much stronger advocate um, for for public schools, uh, but I do see that charter schools play um, play a role in some families' lives that they really appreciate, and and so it's it's not a black and white issue for me. Although there's a lot of race involved in education, right? But but in terms of what the right choice is for families, um, I want to be careful not to overstate 
my um, personal opinions because there is a lot of complexity to it. Um, but that's one that I think is really important for our communities to to know about and to know that that advocates for public schools were successful in in shaping the the funding so that our communities, public schools in St. Louis City wouldn't wouldn't lose out on that. Uh, also, the Senate was able to pass a Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights. Uh, that was SB 775. Uh, it's something that had passed in a previous session, but there was one section of that bill that was held up in court. And so this addressed some of the concerns for that. Um, there was a a lot of back and forth in the Senate about that, as there were with a lot of things this year. Um, and um, that was uh, led by uh, Senator Holly Thompson Rader from the Boot Heel and Senator Jill Shoup from the St. Louis area. Um, and uh, that was one that I was really glad to see get across the finish line. Also, um, one that didn't pass but got more more support than it has previously was the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act. Uh, this would add sexual orientation and gender identity to Missouri's Human Rights Act. Uh, there are other things that where discrimination is prohibited, uh, other categories that, that people uh, uh, associate with or, or uh, have an identity around. Um, uh, many in the legislature are hoping to add sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, Mona is the shorthand for it, uh, Missouri Non-Discrimination Act. Um, that did not pass, but got a, got more support than it has. And this is a bill that's been filed for about 20 years now. Um, so those were the three that I, I was especially looking at. Uh, one where I'll be personally writing a, a letter to the governor asking him to veto it is Senate Bill 745. Um, this is not one that MCU took a position on, but I, you know, I've, I've worked with organizations that, that, uh, address poverty policy for a long time. And I'm especially concerned about, uh, how, uh, utility rate increases, uh, affect households with very low incomes. Um, uh, in 2018, the general assembly allowed, um, uh, a new law to go into place called public in-service accounting, or PISA for short, P-I-S-A, PISA. Uh, it gives extra compensation to electric utilities for investments that they make between rate cases. Uh, and it's kind of controversial in that no other state allows those extra rate increases uh, to happen like that. Uh, it's uh, estimated that by the Office of Public Counsel, which is our, the, the, the branch of state government that tries to protect the consumers, uh, that uh, the result of that law will be an extra 10 to 15% electric rate increase every four years. Um, so, uh, Senate Bill 745 that passed this year and is uh, with the governor currently would add two more 10% plus electric rate increases over uh, the, the following 10 years. Uh, and um, it gives uh, greater discounts to the large industrial businesses and companies uh, compared to, uh, you know, what happens to the, to the little guy, the residential customers. Uh, and it calculates the property taxes for the utility companies in a way that will also probably uh, be an inflationary uh, uh, impact on, on what consumers pay on their energy bills. So um, we're very concerned of, about that uh, at the Missouri, Cons the Consumers Council of Missouri, where I serve on the board of directors. Uh, and it's an, an issue that I've worked on uh, for a long time is how, how do we make uh, utility issues affordable? This affects real people that I know. I have a friend uh, in, living in Soulard, uh, with a, she has a disability, her Amron bill 
increased by over $100 a month. She lives on less than $800 a month from SSI. Mm. You know, how does a woman with a disability who's 67 years old manage, you know, on her tiny income uh, to pay a utility bill like that? Fortunately, we, we were able uh, to get her into a, a, a special program for people uh, in her situation that's going to lower her bill back down, her, her electric bill back down. Uh, but now she's received a similar hike from her gas bill from Spire. Oh. Uh, so both both Amron and Spire, you know, uh, seem to be um, just, you know, out to to price some of us out of our utilities right now. So we're seeing what we can do to to, to help this. Um, she's a you know a, a, a friend of our church, and and I've I've known her a long long time and been, been trying to help her get this solved, but. Uh, she's not the only one. There's a whole lot of folks out there that cannot afford those kind of increases. People on fixed incomes, people with low wage jobs. Uh, and um, uh, as Maisha from the MCU staff would tell you, if you are fortunate enough to live in Section 8, your lease says that if your utilities get, get dis- disconnected, it voids your lease and you can lose your housing too. So there, there, <laughs> there is so little affordable housing and this uh, utility dis- disruptions can make that even worse for uh, for people um, that really, really need those subsidized housing arrangements in order to have some stability. Okay, a lot to take in and, and, yeah. and a lot going on. So thank you for that. And thank you for uh, uh, enlightening us to some of the bills that we haven't heard about. And, and even every day I find out that there's a, there's another one that I didn't even know that that was happening. And and I'm plugged into the legislative task force at MCU. And I didn't know that, that some of these were happening. So thank you yeah. for that. So the last thing I want to ask you guys as we close out here is what kind of calls to action do you have for our listeners uh, during this time of relative inactivity in Jeff City? What should they be doing uh, and, and during this, this time of the summer and heading into the fall? So we we focus on the state legislature as a legislative task force. There are lots of levels of government that matter. But when it comes to your state legislature, the first thing is always get to know your your state representative and your state senator. They represent you in Jefferson City, and it's their job to listen to you, whether they like it or not, whether you tend to be on the same side of political issues. It's their job. So get to know them. And they're not in Jefferson City as much now. They should be back home in your district. And so hopefully they have more time to meet with you. Um, you know, you, you can't demand all of their time, but get to know them. If you've if you've not had a phone conversation, try to get in touch with them. You know, they, they still check their email for sure. Send them an email and say, I'm in your district. I want to get to know you. I want to I want to talk about what matters to me and I want to hear what matters to you because it's about building that relationship and that's got to go both ways. Um, so find a way to meet with them. Um, so that's, that's the individual level. Also think about organizing some people in your congregation. And when I say organize, I basically mean talk to people in your congregation to find out what matters to them and see if there are issues that you also care about so that you can work together on things. It's, it's, it's a much stronger show of power when you can bring three or four people with you to a meeting with your state legislator instead of you you by yourself, because uh, obviously you represent more people than just yourself and the group of four or five of you together represent more than just the four or five of you. Um, so, you know, if you can, if you can come together, then 
absolutely that shows your legislator you're serious and you're you're not just someone who matters because you're in their district you're someone who matters because you do the work to bring people together on issues that are important to you uh, if you want to to engage outside of your congregation you know join us on the legislative task force we'd love to to have you um you know you can you can send us an email and and we will get you connected you know i i didn't get connected to the legislative task force right away i um contacted mcu about something totally different and so trust me when i say we will get you connected to the place that you want to be um find some way to get in touch with us um and and we will gladly connect you and then this is an election year so know what's on your ballot and also find a candidate or an issue to to volunteer for uh i know it's it's likely that recreational marijuana and ranked choice voting will be on the ballot sometime either in August or November. Uh, we've still got some steps before those are finalized, uh, but all the signatures have been turned in and it looks like those are going to have enough signatures to get on the ballot. So, you know, if you have a, a really strong pull toward either of those issues, either for or against, um, get involved with an organization that's, that's doing work around those Um Sometimes it's easier for us in in faith communities to engage on issue politics instead of candidate politics. Um, and so that's a great way to get involved this year. Um, but also there's somebody you know running for a, a state house district, you know either the state house or the state Senate. Um, and I would love to see people just come out of the woodwork and volunteer and donate money if you have some um, and and talk to your neighbors about, about those candidates and the issues that are important to you. Uh, if we we if we can really bring more of ourselves into the public sphere, um, we can help shape what our communities look like. And I think that's what we're all about here. Yeah, from now until July 14th, we, we have the chance to influence what the governor signs or vetoes. So uh, again, a reminder that we wanna uh, ask the governor to sign Senate Bill 681 and, and 662, uh, that's a, the education omnibus bill. Our last uh, MCU electronic newsletter had a link there that you can use to do that. Or you can just you know call his office, 573-751-3222, uh, and ask the governor to sign the education omnibus bill, uh, Senate Bill 681 and 662, uh, which has the Get the Lead Out of School Water Act in it. Uh, or um, you also can take action by going to the Missouri Voter Protection Coalition uh, Facebook page uh, to their link that lets you send uh, an email to the governor asking for a veto of 18, uh, 1878, the, the bad voter uh, photo ID um, bill, uh, or, or call his office about that one as well, asking for a veto. So there's that. Um, also, sometimes churches think, oh, we can't, um, we can't uh, have a candidate forum because that's partisan. Well, candidate forums can be done by, by congregations and community groups like working together or whatever, as long as you do it in a nonpartisan way. So what you have to do is you have to invite everybody that's running, not just like one candidate, invite all the candidates, and you ask them questions of a general nature instead of just like one issue or whatever. Uh, it, it needs to be a fairly you know, open mic kind of situation where people from the audience can can ask questions and it's you aren't trying to skew it you know toward one just one thing that you want to talk about or whatever 
Uh, and uh, it's, it's a, gr- a great way to help educate the voters uh, about the stances of people that are running for office. So um, I think that that's an important one is to participate in putting on uh, candidate uh, forums where you interview people. Um, we, uh, we will want to be sure that we uh, engage in, in some of the canvassing activities that's going on on, on Juneteenth and, uh, and later in the year with the Environmental Justice Task Force. Where, you know, we're having another bridge rally on July 23rd about air quality, and uh, we'll be announcing some things that people can do there in order to, uh, to help. And, and, and those are good things to talk to our legislators about this, to see what their position are uh, on, uh, on air quality issues. So there's, there's lots that, that you can, can do with us. And uh, um, if your congregation isn't yet you know, connected to MCU and have, have, have an MCU organizer working with you on how to, uh, how to actually build some power in your congregation to influence some of these public policy issues, uh, then get me in touch with us so that we can help you with that. Hey, great. Thank you uh, to my guests today, JMO, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with MCU Legislative Task Force. As they said, if you are ready to join us in the work for justice in the St. Louis area, contact us at 314-367-3484 or email us at office at mcustl.com. You can learn more and contribute to Metropolitan Congregations United at our website, mcustlewis.org. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening. 